Good morning. It is great to see you this morning. Good to be with you. Um, We mentioned it a little bit um, in the first service, and you saw a little of the video, but man, I just want to tell you, we had an incredible time this week. We had a a shipment. It was a semi-tractor trailer filled with 1,188 cases of Clorox disinfectant cleaner um, that, that we, we had 48 hours to prepare. Not even 48, about 36 hours to prepare for. And that, that load, it was four or five hours late, so it, it made it a little bit more challenging. But we unloaded that truck. It took us two hours to unload. And over the course of of Wednesday afternoon, and then it happened some on Thursday, some on Friday, there are two cases left of those 1,188 cases, and those will be gone um, because people will walk in the thrift store and they will be given a case. And I'll tell you what, it was unbelievable. And I'm so grateful for the people that last minute showed up to help us And even people that are not from Silver Creek Church, it's amazing the network of people that we have that are willing to give of their day and to to come and help us do that. So it was awesome. So uh, thank you for those that that volunteered. I'm going to assume this water's mine. (laughs) I'm I'm taking a risk here, but I, I need it. So if Nikki and I both get sick, I'll know it wasn't mine. Well, we're wrapping up this series called Through the Fire, and um, I've been telling a story at the beginning of each week about a fire, and some of them have been well-known. I still, oh, it's terrible. How do you, you, you shouldn't be proud of a fire, but I'm still really, it, it's something that, that probably we have as much information on the Peshtigo fire as any fire we have big fire we have in this country. I, I don't know why. I still love that. Every list you go to about the biggest fires in America, Peshtigo is like the top, um, or one of the top. <clears throat> but on August 5th, 1949, there was a fire in uh, the Helena National Forest in Montana, and it was named the Man Gulch Fire. And uh, it took place, it was not in any, any town, but it was in the mountains, and um, as many of those fires, uh, they, they have to get people on site to begin to battle those blazes without, without water. Um, they do it with axes and shovels and, and things like that. <clears throat> and uh, 15 smoke jumpers um, jumped in on that fire that day. And uh, the fire um, really, it kind of surprised them. It, it it chased them uphill. Um, they got in behind it, and the wind uh, plus the elevation, um, it, it literally just chased them up the hill. They were, they were literally running for their lives, <clears throat> and they realized at some point they may not actually make it to the summit and get over the other side to be able to, to survive. And the person uh, who was um, their, their leader, this fire, in, in 10 minutes... It burned 3,000 acres in 10 minutes at one point. That's how fast it was moving. 
and and the the guy who was in charge, they they um, they had not been together very long as a group, and trust is an important part of being a, a firefighter in these conditions. And he <clears throat> he without maybe even informing them, um, they got to a big clearing. And there, it was grass, but and it was a very large clearing. And so he he felt that the best way that they could survive was to light this this grassy area on fire, so that as it caught them, there would be no fuel in this area because it would have burned. They they would have burned the grass off safely. So they he burns the the grass off. They carry they carry like cans of and they have I think it's oil and and they're they they keep them lit and they're able to light areas on fire. So they light this fire it, or this this area. It burns off and he tells the crew, "I want you to lay face down in the center of this area and cover yourself up and and this this fire is going to blow." past us, it's going to blow around us, and we're going to survive. And in the heat of the moment, there, there was one particular um, crew member in, in uh, particular that said, no way, I am not doing this, and they pushed on to the summit, and 12 of those men died because they didn't reach the summit in time. But the, the, the guy who was the crew chief who laid down in the middle of that burnt space survived. And, and it actually, they, they used this situation to actually change how they survive in these particular conditions. And, and it changed the future of how they battle those blazes. Well, today I want to, to, to tell you um, about really what I would say is, is the most significant fire that we read about in all of Scripture and significant from the standpoint of how it has impacted humanity since, uh, we, since it happened. And so I'm going to start um, really in the Old Testament because this fire was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Now, when you read the Old Testament, and I hope you do, um, the, the, I, I love the New Testament. The, the Old Testament, parts of it um, are a little bit more of a struggle than others, but parts of it are really easy reading because it's stories, and, and it's wonderful to, to read those things. But um, there's 18 books in the Old Testament that are called books that are, they're, they're lumped together, and they're called prophetic or prophecy books. And so those talk about Israel's future, and it talks of some of them even the future far beyond just Israel's future. Uh, one of those books uh, was written between 590 and 570 BC, so before Christ, uh, called the book of Ezekiel, chapter 39, verse 29. He says, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the people of Israel, declares the sovereign Lord. Then let's uh, go back even further <clears throat> to the prophet Isaiah, who uh, wrote between 700 and 680 uh, B.C. And, and he wrote, uh, God wrote this through Isaiah, For I will pour water on the, uh, the thirsty land and streams on dr the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And then we're going to go back even farther 
to the book of Joel, chapter 2 and verse 28. And Joel was written between 830 and 835 B.C. And it says, And afterward I will pour out, this is 228, pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. <clears throat> so you might wonder, how, how is it you know, you're, you're going to talk about this, this fire of God, this, this, um, this, this act that, that Scripture's talking about? How do we know what it really means? Um, and, and the answer to that is that Peter, in the book of Acts, makes a direct connection for us. Because in Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, or, yeah, he says, Peter says this, now this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out of my spirit on all people. Peter literally quotes the book of Joel in Acts chapter 2. So he is saying, uh, he's going back to the, to the oldest of these prophetic words about God pouring out his spirit. He's not going back 500 years. He's not going back 700 years. He's going back over 800 years, and he's pulling from the prophet Joel, and he is saying that today this is being fulfilled here on the day of Pentecost. Um, and so we, what we are looking at is almost a 1,000 years where God has been speaking on this subject. Now, for you and I, I, I mean, we, a thousand years, we don't even, we, it's just almost impossible for us to really fathom that, okay? And, and our, our, you know, our, our new nation in relationship to those, that kind of a period, um, we can't fathom that kind of time. But when you're looking at Jesus' day, okay, the time period between the last um, of, of the, the prophets and the beginning of the New Testament is like 400 years. The word of the Lord had not been declared in, in that amount of time. And we look at that even in comparison to the, the, the lifespan of our nation. I mean, we're talking about a lot of time here. And yet, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, knew the Old Testament so well that he could quote Joel 835 years later without, he didn't have a concordance in his Bible. He didn't have a Bible. They had the law, he didn't have a copy of it. And so he, he brings this out. This has been something that has been repeated for almost a millennium. Well, next we see that, that it's predicted by John the Baptist. Really interesting cat. If you've never read uh, the Gospels before, he, this guy was weird. He, he dressed in, in camel hair. I don't know the, the benefits of camel hair. You know, I, I probably have had a, a sport coat that was made of, of camel hair, you know, or at least they, they call it that. But uh, he ate locusts and wild honey. I, I don't understand um, why he was, uh, he was a, um, he was a, he took a Nazarite vow, so he didn't cut his hair. Um, and, and people came out to hear this guy preach. And I'm, I'm not talking about a couple people. They came out in droves every day to listen to him speak. 
And here's what John says, and this is recorded in Matthew 3.11 as well as in Luke 3.16, almost identical. John answered them all because they, were, they wanted to know something. They wanted to know, John, are you the Messiah? Because they were looking for the Messiah. You know, Isaiah, 700 years before, had prophesied a great deal about the Messiah. They wanted to know who the Messiah would be. They wanted to know when he got there because they believed that he was going to deliver them from Rome. And so they're asking him because he's baptizing people. Um, And he says, John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and what? Fire. People were, they wondered if he was the Messiah. He said, no. In fact, here's the way that you're going to be able to tell who the Messiah is. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. I just baptize you with water. But the Messiah is going to baptize you with Holy, the Holy Spirit and with fire. And, and they wanted to know who the Messiah was, but the Messiah had not yet been revealed to them. It would happen uh, very quickly, but it, it had not happened as of yet. So next, we see that this is also proclaimed by Jesus it was predicted by John the Baptist, but now it's, it's being proclaimed, okay? I looked up words with P this week. I'm, I'm, I don't do that very often, but a theme emerged, and I felt like I needed to look for words. I just, I was, I don't know, maybe it'll stick with you a little bit longer. Um, but it was proclaimed by Jesus. Luke chapter 24, verse 49 Uh, This is Jesus speaking. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city, meaning Jerusalem, until you have been clothed with power from on high. Jesus is proclaiming that there is a promised gift from the father, which is from on high. It will give you power. You'll be clothed in power. You'll be given power from on high. And that, that power that it's speaking of is a supernatural, a miraculous power that is from God. Let's look at Acts chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, which gives us another example of Jesus proclaiming this. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, He gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the supernatural gift that God the Father was promising was the infilling or the baptizing of the Holy Spirit. Next, we see that, that it was published by Luke. I, I, this is an interesting concept to me. Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. Uh, Luke starts out the book of Acts when he says, My friend Theophilus, he said, I wrote everything about Jesus. Everything that I saw, I wrote about Jesus. And he's talking about the gospel of Luke, and he's also talking about the book of Acts, which he wrote as well. And so Luke is, is he's, he's writing an account. 
And Luke's account is a little bit different because Luke was a physician. And so his account of the crucifixion we rely on incredibly because he saw things that others would not. And he gives this account. Most scholars believe as they look at the accounts of the gospel, as they look at history written by men like Josephus and others, they look at at, uh, the crucifixion of Jesus as happening uh, around A.D. 33. Now, we know that the Passover is on a specific day in the Jewish calendar. So historians and scholars have narrowed down the crucifixion of Jesus, not just to A.D. 33, but to April 3rd, A.D. 33. And the day of Pentecost happened 50 days after the crucifixion. That's that's just in the Jewish calendar, that's how it would go. The same way um, every year on our calendar, uh, Thanksgiving is is which Thursday of the month? We didn't have to talk about that at all. We just knew that it's the third Thursday of November. The Jewish calendar was the same every year. And so the day of Pentecost was 50 days after what was called the Passover. So here we have a, a, a man of education writing about about what's going to happen. He, he, is, he is the author. He's, he's taking credit as authors do. What do they tell you when you write a paper in school? There's two things you need to... I just thought of this, Jill. I, looking at you, it just uh, she's an English teacher. There's two things that you do as, a, as an author, even as a student. What do you put on that paper? Besides the title of it, besides the body, what do you put? Yes, but you do your name and when you wrote it. That's what Luke is doing. He's saying, I, Luke, wrote it. I I wrote it, and here's what I wrote it. He literally gives us the answers to those things as he gives that to us. So it's been prophesied in the Old Testament. It's been predicted by John the Baptist. It's been proclaimed by Jesus. It's been published by Luke, but it's perpetuated. That's a good one. I had to look for that one a little bit. It happened on the day of Pentecost. So let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, when you're, you're, you're trying to verify things historically, Dr. David Miano, who's a historian, an author, and a professor, he said that you need the most relevant information possible in order to determine the historical veracity of a particular event. And the most valuable documents that you need are called primary sources. You need to to be able to identify those sources and and be able um, to trace those back. So they need to be documents that were written in the particular period that you are examining. Luke tells us what happened on the day of Pentecost and he uses specific 
locations. He uses specific times and specific information. The Apostle Paul, in uh, we know Acts was written in AD 63. The Apostle Paul, in AD 55, he says that most of those who were witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, who were five, there were 500 in number that he appeared to, most of them were still alive. And Acts, in Acts, uh, Luke tells us that there were 120 that were in that upper room in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And so not only are we seeing Luke, who's crediting uh, himself for writing this, he's given us the time, he's given us the date, he's given us the location, he has made available to us the fact that there are a significant number of witnesses who could verify what he was saying, that there was the sound of, of a blowing violent wind. There was uh, fire that came and rested on each person. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke in tongues. That's a lot of things that have happened over the course of almost a thousand years. But I want to talk to you for just a moment about the things that that God, I believe it's his purpose for you and I in this fire of the Holy Spirit. The first one is this. It's a promise that strengthens us. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, I read it earlier, but God promises us power from on high, supernatural power, miraculous power from God. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, he said, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now, those of you that are parents, if you have ever been asked by your child, can we get ice cream today? If you're like me, you don't want to get trapped Okay, this is a trap. And what, what I will say is, we'll see, or maybe. And in their little brains, when they go to, to define words, and they get down to the M's, and it says maybe, it says see yes. Okay? Because in their minds, that maybe, that's an ironclad yes. Okay? Are you with me? You understand what I'm talking about? And so later, if, if heaven and earth prevent you from going to the ice cream shop, you know, heaven forbid, but literally all, the, all, of, all of earth is stopping you, and you say, kids, I'm, I'm sorry, but we're not going to make it to the ice cream shop. What do they say? With quivering lip. You promised you promise. And we're like, I said possibly. I said maybe. I said if the stars align correctly. I never promised. But no, they take that maybe and they put it in their little hearts and they add faith to it and it becomes a promise somehow miraculously. Scripture says that when it comes to the promises of God, they are not maybe. They are not possibly. They are yes. And then he goes on and he says that our response is amen. Okay, what does that really mean? The word amen means so be it even unto me. 
So when we hear the promises of God, they don't come as maybes, they come as yes. And my response is, God, may it be even unto me as you have said. That is the response. So when it comes to those promises, God says yes, we say, God, let it be even unto me. John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, here's Jesus saying, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Another advocate. There already was an advocate. Yes, that was Jesus. God sent Jesus to be the guide, the helper, the counselor. But Jesus is saying, I'm leaving and I'm asking God to send you another advocate, another counselor, another helper, another guide. So this promised gift of the Father is the advocate. He is the helper, the guide. And and with that gift comes miraculous strength and power. Number two, it's the presence that indwells us. John chapter 20, verse 22. This is Jesus now. He says, and with that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let me take just a moment and step back and let you know that um, when, when a person in 2021 accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. When we, when we pray with our kids, you know, and we say, do you, do you want to accept Jesus as your personal Savior? And they say, yes, it's the Holy Spirit that actually takes up residence. Now, God and, and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, they are omnipresent. They can be everywhere at one time, but positionally, they are somewhere specific. Jesus, the Bible says, is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit dwells in us from the moment of conversion or salvation. And so we need to understand this, uh, this idea that he is the presence that dwells in us from the moment of salvation. But this promised gift of the Father, this infilling of the Holy Spirit, this overflowing of the Holy Spirit is in addition to or on top of the presence of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 17, it says, But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Paul, he said that the Holy Spirit who is in you is from God. In fact, he said that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Again, confirming that from the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit lives in us. He dwells in us. But then there is this infilling on top of that. You say, well, how do you know that? Paul says in Ephesians 5.18, He said, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He's talking to believers, and he's telling them to be filled. And the Greek does something that English does not. The Greek does something with the verb to be. And it gives it in the conjugation of the verb. It really means be being. It gives the continuation of the action. 
When we're be being, it means that it's continuous, it's repeated, it's ongoing. So we know that the Spirit will never leave us, the Spirit will never forsake us, but when it comes to the infilling of the Spirit, it's something that happens continuously and ongoing. Number three, it's the passion that burns in us. I love to talk to people about their passion. It's, it's a lot of fun to do that. And I picked on, uh, I picked on a, a young man named James this morning. I said, if you're going to talk to James about his passion, and he's a quiet guy, mountain of a kid. I mean, he's huge. I said, you're going you're gonna to have to talk about tractors because that kid is a tractor fanatic. They, they, basically, they race them, okay? They put weight on them, and they see which one is the, the, can pull the weight. He drives all over buying old ones. They restore them. That's his passion. I didn't even mention one of my passions as I'm, I'm talking about examples of passion because people, when you talk about their passion, and they're really excited, I, I think it's just fun to watch, Okay, but sometimes if you're talking about their passion and they're not interested, it's just this blank stare. They just glaze over, okay? I, I like to run. When you talk with people about running, that's exactly what they do. They go, you're crazy, and they just, they just stare straight ahead. They don't know what to say, you know? And when, when somebody's passionate about something, Mike, you're passionate about puzzles, okay? Mike has, I will guarantee you, Mike has put together a puzzle bigger than all of us combined, okay? 30,000 pieces, 32,000 pieces. That's a big puzzle. When Mike starts talking about stacking those identical puzzle pieces, and then he translates those 10 puzzle pieces to a dime, and that dime correlates with an Excel file that he has on his computer. Do you know what I do? <laughs> he, he'd talk all day. You go to his house, and he's got them stacked all over. I mean, in the living room, they have two living rooms. One of them is just the puzzle table, okay? And it's his passion. It's fun. If you, wanna, if you really want to have fun with somebody, you want to wind them up and let them go, just talk about what you know they love, and they will go off, and it is a blast to watch that kind of excitement in people. It just flows out of us when we're, when we're passionate. It just flows out of us. We're excited about it. We're passionate about it. When we... When we encounter the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it changes our passion. It doesn't mean we're not excited about puzzles anymore. It doesn't mean we're not excited about tractors anymore. But it changes our passions. We become passionate about God. We become passionate about his word. We become passionate about worship. We become passionate about the lost. We become passionate about Jesus' church when we're filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. Paul says it this way in, in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. He said, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. The word fervor, it means boiling or seething. Now, when we use the word seething, it usually means anger, okay? But it's intense. That our, our fervor for God should be boiling over 
You ever leave something on the stove too long and it's boiling? You know, it might be a pot of, of, of pasta or noodles or, or you're boiling potatoes or whatever it is, and you walk away and you don't realize it, and pretty soon you hear the sound. It's that, that moisture's coming out and it's hitting the burner and you're hearing it sizzle and crackle. That boiling, that is the word that Paul uses for our spiritual fervor. Sometimes... On some days, we're lucky if we get a little, beep, there's like one little, one little bubble, you know. He says, keep your spiritual fervor. It needs to be boiling. It needs to be, to be uh, seething. Because God's purpose, when we're filled with the Spirit, will become our passion. And when we're passionate about the things that are God's purpose, God does great things. Number four, it's the power that emboldens us. At Jesus' arrest, the disciples were scattered. Peter denied Jesus three times. They literally went into hiding. Did you realize that? They were behind locked doors. They, they, they were scared to death. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, they go totally public, and it's unplanned. They go completely public. They are preaching the gospel out in the open. So what was the change? What made the difference in them? I'll tell you what it was. It was the Holy Spirit. It was what happened on the day of Pentecost and Jesus tells us about that in Acts 1.8. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We, 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 we find out from history that most of the disciples were martyred. They were denying him and hiding behind closed doors. What could take them from that place to the place where they were being willing to be martyred for Jesus Christ? And it was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. From that moment on, from the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the church exploded on the world. Do you realize that if it weren't for the day of Pentecost, that you and I would probably not know who Jesus Christ is? Because it was the day of Pentecost that launched them out into the world. That gave them the boldness to talk about who Jesus was. Even under threat of punishment. That baptism, the fire of baptism, it continues today. There are millions around the world that can attest to it. Remember that fire that I talked about at the beginning of my message, Man Gulch, it changed how fires are battled. And the Holy Spirit and his fire changed the world. Changed the world. Maybe there's somebody here today and your desire is to receive that promised gift from the Father. I'm gonna have the worship team come and they're gonna close us out with a song this morning. It's the promise that strengthens us. It's the presence that indwells us. 
It's the passion that burns in us. It's the power that emboldens us. What I want to do is have you just stand with me if you would. And they're just going to lead us. And today, if you say, you know what, I, I, I want this promised gift of the Father in my life. I'm just going to open up these altars. There's not going to be any manipulation. There's not going to be um, anything other than you just responding to God and saying, yes, Lord, that's what I want in my life. And making that your prayer. Not someone else's prayer, but your prayer. And after the end of that song, I'm just going to come back and I'm going to close in prayer. It's a very simple process. But if, if you say, you know what, Lord, I desire that gift, that promised gift of the Father in my life. I want you to come. Just find a place. Just, just as you're here, just say, God, that's me. Uh, that's what I desire in my life. And after they're done, I'll come back and close in prayer. Father, I thank you for this promised gift of the Father that you have given for us. Father, I pray for that one that might be sort of debating in their own mind, is this something that's for me or not? And I pray that throughout the week that you'll just bring this back to their remembrance. And Father, I pray that there'll be a point in this week where they simply say, God, if it's something that you have for me, if it's something that gives me me a, a greater sense of your presence, if it's something that, that, that emboldens me with power, if it's something, God, that, that produces a greater impact in and through my life, God, I desire that. And so, Father, I pray that as they open their heart, I pray that they simply would receive that gift. Father, I thank you that you have sent the advocate, the Holy Spirit, the helper, our guide, the one who through his power we are empowered by with miracle working power. Father, I thank you and I praise you. In Jesus' name we pray.